Hope you guys each had a blessed Thanksgiving as well. As I said, we are starting our Advent journey this morning. Um, it's a time of anticipation. It's a time of waiting. It's a time of spiritual preparation as we prepare for the coming of Christ our King. And this year, I, it's maybe obvious, but this year we're going to be talking all about joy. Joy. The good news of great joy that comes to us at Christmas. So excited. Now, truth be told, we know there are always reasons that it might be hard for us to experience joy, really in any season of life, but, you know, also at Christmas. There are lots of reasons that it might be hard for us to experience joy. Uh, Maybe it's just an incredibly stressful time of year. It's really busy. We're overwhelmed with lots of extra things to keep track of and and do and and parties and gifts and and gatherings, maybe traditions of your family that can be life-giving and can be exhausting. Maybe it's just an overwhelming season. I'm going to let you start it. (laughs) Thank you. Um, Maybe it's a time of year that brings up some painful memories for you. Uh, Maybe you lost a loved one this time of year, and it's always most obvious every year by their absence. It's a hard time sometimes for us to feel joy. Maybe things are just really tight for you and your family, and you know this is not going to be the Christmas that you had hoped for or maybe, what, maybe what others expect of you. And if we look around the world today, any headline, any news outlet, any TV news you could turn on right now, there are hundreds of reasons that it might be hard to find joy. Ongoing wars, more mass shootings, violence. It feels like the darkness grows ever deeper. And so this Advent, I want to talk about joy but not as a way that sort of drowns all that out or ignores it. Not as a way that we kind of put up our blinders and, and just act as if it doesn't exist. Not as, a, not as a way that sort of just diminishes our ability to, to still grieve and lament uh, and, and to feel pain, and yet acknowledge that we can also, too, still find joy. We don't have to have sort of like the absence of everything else in our life fixed all of that bad stuff gone in order to actually find and cultivate joy. Because what I think joy actually is, we know this, it's not just a sense of happiness or contentment or all right with the world. It's actually an intentional practice of faith and an an intentional practice of hope even before things are all right. Does that make sense? To find joy is to have an intentional practice of faith and an intentional practice of hope, even in the midst of the chaos. So for these four weeks, we're going to be talking about joy and how joy shows up in the Christmas story and scripture, new ways for us to maybe cultivate at this time of year. But each week of Advent, we also have a different theme. And as you heard this morning, as we lit our Advent candle, the theme for Advent 1 is hope. This sense of Hope, And it's sort of a funny thing. We start our season of Advent and the preparation of the birth of Christ, the coming of Christ, but we actually start a little bit in a different way, and, and we anticipate the second coming of Christ. On the first Sunday of Advent, our theme is hope, and we talk about our future hope in Christ's triumphant return. And we look forward to and wait for and prepare for that day when Christ will come 
and set all things right. The kingdom will be fully realized and Christ will reign. So we look forward to that day and are very well aware that that is not our reality around us in the world. We acknowledge this hope. I think it is captured perfectly. One of my favorite Christmas hymns is Oh, oh Holy Night. Uh, and if you can put that up for me, two, two more slides. Oh, holy night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of our dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and ever pine, error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. A thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices. For yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. It captures this sort of Advent hope that leads to joy for us this time of year as we look forward to and wait for that day, the new and glorious morn of Christ's return. But as we wait and as we have that hope, I truly feel like we can be a part of that weary world that rejoices. A weary world rejoices. We can look forward to that day when war and sadness and sickness will be no more. It is that hope we have in Christ that allows us to experience joy today, even in the chaos, even because here's the thing, the greatest joy, the greatest joy that we can find is the kind that wells up from security in Christ. Do you hear that? The greatest joy is the kind that we feel from having a deep security in Christ. Our hope is sure. Our faith is sure. We have this security and future hope in Christ. And that is the source, this root, of the joy that we can find today. So we're going to be looking at different Christmas stories. They're familiar, maybe. Luke chapters 1 and 2. Every Christmas we read from these scriptures because worship is formative. We celebrate this time of year every year. And these are, this may be familiar for many of you, but this year, kind of looking at it through the lens of this joy, even in the midst of chaos and uncertainty and everything not right, and seeing where joy might just well up for us, how we might intentionally cultivate joy in different places as we see people do in the Christmas story. And this morning, we're going to start in Luke chapter 1, uh, finding joy in the unexpected. That's the first where we're going to start this morning, how we can find joy in the unexpected. So I'm going to read for us this morning Luke chapter 1, uh, verses 5 through 25. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now while he was serving as priest before God when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice 
at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb, and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zacharias said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. This is the word of God for us, the people of God, and we respond, thanks be to God. I think this scripture passage this morning reveals that there are two kinds of people in the world. Two kinds. One, people who love to be surprised, and the other, people who very much do not like to be surprised. I'm, I'm the first. I, I love surprises. I love to surprise other people. I love to be surprised myself. I love surprise parties. I think it's great. Whether it's an outing, a friend that shows up, even, I mean, I just, I think it's so much fun to be surprised. My husband, on the other hand, very much does not like this. I learned this the hard way when I threw him a surprise birthday party a few years ago. And where I, I mean, I gathered all of his friends and family, friends that he hadn't seen in a really long time. We're all in the fellowship hall, right? And he comes in. And where I would have been just elated and overjoyed and probably started crying and wanted to hug everybody, like overwhelmed with gratitude at all these people that came in, he looked at me and was like, how long you been lying to me? <laughs> how long you been planning this? You know, he was like shocked. I wouldn't say outrage, but there was shock and, like, disbelief, right? He warmed up, and he enjoyed himself, but I thought, oh, wow, lesson learned. <laughs> we all have different love languages, my friends. you got to figure out the best way that your partners receive love. Surprises for Matthew is not one of them. So now I know. <laughs> now I know. There are two, kind of, two types of people. People who love to be surprised. People who do not. Elizabeth, in our story this morning, loves this surprise. She is overjoyed when she finds out that she is expecting. This is what she's been waiting for, right? She's, she's so uh, sort of excited. Uh, she's advanced in years, and, and up until this point, Scripture tells us that she's been barren. She probably thought this ship had sailed. So what a surprise, what a joy, she responds how I do to good news and surprises. And she says, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach 
among people. I feel like that's Elizabeth's way of saying, look what God did for me. Look what God's done. Joy. Now, a little, uh, sort of a little background at this time culturally, um, to not be able to have children carried a, a very real social stigma, especially for the people of Israel who were told, be fruitful and multiply, right? The more, the better. The bearing of children at this time was considered a great blessing because that meant uh, a name and inheritance could be passed on. It meant that there would be a legacy. And really, this was the way of perpetuating God's covenant with Israel throughout the generations, be fruitful and multiply. Uh, to be barren was considered a, a tragedy, and, and even at the time, a sign of God's punishment. We do not believe this today, um, but it was often assumed that it was the woman's fault. If, if a couple didn't have children, it was assumed that they weren't able to, and it was often blamed on the woman. And so Elizabeth herself would have felt the, the weight of this sto- social stigma even more acutely than Zechariah. But this news takes all that away. She says, look what God has done for me to take away that reproach, that that stigma, that judgment from among the people. Zechariah, on the other hand, reacts quite differently. He reacts like Matthew Edward, shock and disbelief. How will I know this is true? He looked at me and said, how did you do this? How did you pull this off? How long have you been lying to me? Questions. Zachariah has that shock and disbelief. It's a natural response. Let me be fair. We're all different. It's a natural response to something unexpected happening, right? To have sort of that that moment of shock. But Zechariah says, okay, but how will I know that this is really going to happen? After the angel says, and you're going to have joy, and so many people are going to rejoice. This is going to be like a man that prepares the way for the Lord. This is announcing the birth of John the Baptist, who will go before Jesus and prepare the way. And to let me also stop and say, they have not heard a prophet in Israel, like a word from the Lord, since the time of Malachi. So this is like, Many, many, many years, generations where the people haven't heard a word from the Lord, whether from a prophet, whether from a messenger. And here the angel of the Lord appears. An angel of the Lord appears and announces this really sort of big deal about what's going to happen. And, and maybe that's where we find Zachariah in that moment of going, whoa, really? Shock and disbelief. Now, I want to give us a little bit of background um, about sort of uh, his priestly duties as Zechariah here for just a moment. Our scripture says he was from the division of Abijah. There were actually 24 different divisions of priests, okay? And each group would serve twice a year for a week at a time in the temple, in, in the main temple. On this occasion, Zechariah was the one who was chosen. It was his division, his time to serve, and he was the one who was chosen to enter the sanctuary and offer incense. Uh, a sacrifice was offered twice a day, both on the outer, outer altar and the inner altar inside the sanctuary. This is where he goes into the sanctuary to offer the offering. And how they usually did it, how did they decide who of this division would be the one to go in and do this, is uh, a list was compiled of those priests who had never been chosen to do this. 
and they selected him by lot, right? They selected, and so there was a lot of time of, of waiting. Lots were cast to determine what priest would enter and, and sacrifice at that inner altar in the sanctuary. It was an honor that normally only came once in someone's lifetime. So imagine, only serves for a few weeks at a time. Lots are cast for who gets to choose. There were many, many years where Zechariah would show up and serve in different ways in different places in the temple, but wasn't the one chosen to go into the inner sanctuary. But this year, it, he was. This time, he was. And it's at this moment, the pinnacle of Zechariah's life of priestly service, the greatest honor that he has ever experienced in, in this moment of worship. While all these multitude of people are waiting outside and praying, right? If you caught there, they're all, all the other priests and all these other people would have been waiting for him after he offered the offering to come back out from the inner sanctuary and then speak over them the priestly blessing, which I think is the one from Numbers. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. So all these people and all these other priests are waiting, are waiting for him to come out and pronounce that blessing over them. And it's at this moment, when he's in that inner sanctuary, while all those other people are waiting outside, this is the moment he's been waiting for, and it's when the angel of the Lord appears to him with this news. I can kind of understand a little bit why he might have been in shock and disbelief. He's terrified, it says. He's filled, he's troubled, his spirit is troubled. He's filled with fear. As far as we can tell, angels often have a terrifying appearance. <laughs> so, you know, he was a little scared. But all of that preparation and waiting and prayer, I, I, I really have to pause and sort of ask ourselves, but did he really not expect to experience God's presence? Like when he's offering this, this incense, when he's offering this offering in the inner sanctuary, the pinnacle of his sort of career, this priestly service, did he really not expect to encounter the presence of God? In this case, a messenger from God, a word from the Lord? All that time of waiting, all the time where he wasn't chosen, and he was surprised to experience God's presence. It gives me a moment of pause as I was sort of preparing for this. For this teaching, it gave me a moment of, of pause, even to ask myself and, and each of us here this morning, do we really expect to encounter the living God when we come to worship? Daryl just mentioned last week when he talked about sort of our Wesleyan understanding of worship or kind of our history and, and worship expression. He, he gave this definition our worship in both its diversity and its unity, it's the next one, thank you, this is not working, in both its diversity and its unity is an encounter with the living God through the risen Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. And Daryl asked us last week, do we believe that? From the moment of our entrance, when we walk in the front door, when we dwell together in this space as a family of God, do we believe, are we prepared to encounter the living God? The living God. Do we expect it? Or are we surprised when God does move? 
And it's okay to be surprised. But maybe the leading question after that is, do we receive that? Maybe that word or that move or that unexpected way we've experienced God? Do we, do we respond with joy? Or do we respond with skepticism? I sure I heard that right? Is that, it's been so long since I feel like I've experienced God's presence. Did I, is that real? Did I, did I really hear that? Did I really feel that encouragement? I'm afraid sometimes, and hear me, church, this is me as well. Sometimes we are all too often like Zachariah in this moment, full of maybe disbelief or discontentment or, or cynicism. You might not know this about me, but that's, that's often where I find you know, myself sometimes. All of these tests and things about the Enneagram tell me that I'm a type uh, six, which means apparently that I'm the, uh, the worst case scenario person, where I always imagine and prepare for the worst case scenario, which means on my not so healthy days, I can be very cynical. <laughs> Sometimes I feel a little like Zachariah in this moment. Are we sure? How do we know? Is this real? But the warning from Zechariah this morning is that sometimes that reaction keeps us from sharing the good news of Jesus Christ in moments when we have the opportunity. That's what it boils down to. It keeps us from telling others about what God has done and what God continues to do for us. Because if you remember, Zechariah comes out after, after offering that and, and encountering encountering the angel of the Lord, and because he doesn't believe, he's not able to speak. And so all these people who are waiting for him, he comes out, and they know something has happened. They know that he has seen a vision or something because he doesn't pronounce the blessing over them. He's trying to do some signs. He's trying to communicate. They know something happened. But you know what this means is that Zechariah encountered the Lord and he has a piece of good news to share, but his disbelief and discontentment kept him from being able to tell them about it. That moment of joy, it kind of stole it away from him, right? Zachariah's inability to accept this gift with joy leads him to not be able to share the good news with other people. Elizabeth rejoices, she celebrates, she proclaims, look what God has done for me. <laughs> but as a skeptic, Zachariah, really? Aren't we too old for this? <laughs> so our question this morning uh, in sort of finding joy in unexpected places, events, is how can we cultivate joy in those moments, good or bad? When things don't go as expected or planned, how can we respond with joy? And hear me, we, we may not always, especially when bad things happen unexpectedly, joy is not going to be our main response. But our joy in Elizabeth's testimony of saying, but look what God has done for me, that I do believe in lots of different seasons we can find and we can cultivate. Right, Because if anything, the birth of Jesus Christ at Christmas reminds us that it's God who chooses to come 
and be with us in this world, in the chaos, in the darkness, in the mess. It's the gift of Emmanuel, God with us. So in the good and in the bad times, especially in the bad times, the ability that we have to experience God's presence as Christ Emmanuel, God with us, I think can lead us to a response of joy like Elizabeth to say, and look what God has done for me. God didn't betray me. God didn't leave my side. God is with me. No, all things are not right in this world, but my future and my hope in Christ is secure because Christ is here and all one day will be well. So how can we cultivate this joy in unexpected moments? How can we respond like Elizabeth? I want to ask just a few questions for your own reflection kind of throughout the week and in the coming days as we enter this journey together. As you enter this Advent season, I wonder, are you going through the motions or are you expecting to experience God? Ask yourself that maybe before you enter worship next week. Are you going through the motions of worship and prayer? Are you expecting to experience God? Because I think living and worshiping with that kind of expectant heart means we won't miss God when God shows up. We're going to be looking. We're going to be on, uh, have that awareness, right? So even when things go sideways, even when unexpected bad things happen, we'll be able to see the light and see Christ, and find joy in the presence of God there because we're going to be expecting it. Are you going through the motions or are you expecting to experience God? The second question, are you unwilling to listen and believe? Are you receiving God's gifts with joy? Zechariah was unable to receive the good news, right? So are, are, we, are we listening? Are we looking? Or are, are, we, are we believing? Are we able to accept God's gifts with joy. Someone here this morning needs to hear that it's okay to allow yourself to experience joy. Someone here this morning maybe doesn't feel like they feel worthy or that they deserve it. Too many bad things have happened. Too many bad things are going on in the world. Who am I to find joy in anything? It's okay to let yourself receive that gift. The last question Are you living life on mute? Are you sharing God's gift with joy? Are you seeing opportunities to proclaim what God has done for you when you encounter people, when you encounter different experiences, when something unexpected happens in someone else's life? How can you share good news with them? How can you share joy and presence with them when their life goes sideways? There are opportunities all around us. And these are just some questions as we begin this season together, this, this journey of preparation that really is a spiritual journey. This is a very convicting quote for me, which is why I wrote it down and why I'm now going to share it with you. Are you ready? Ready. Advent is not a list, is, sorry, Advent is not a to-do list for Christmas, but it's a pilgrimage to Bethlehem. Okay, I'm going to put that up somewhere in my house. I'm going to read it every day. Rachel, I might even put my name on it. Get my attention. Hark, as Daryl says. <laughs> he said before church this morning, hark the herald angels sing. We should use that word more often, says Daryl. Like, get someone's attention. Hark. <laughs> so every morning on my mirror for Advent, hark, Rachel. 
Advent is not a to-do list for Christmas. It is a pilgrimage to Bethlehem. And so I want to invite you on that pilgrimage with me. I want to invite you into this season of spiritual preparation. As we anticipate the coming of Christ our King, as we look forward to that day with hope and with joy in Christ's future return, we can experience pieces of that joy now, that light breaking through, the promise that we have, the presence of God with us. The presence of God with us. The world is a little chaotic, but Christ is coming. So what has God done for you lately? How can you share about that? How can you receive these good gifts? And how can you experience joy? I'd love for you to share that with me at some point this week, how you are finding joy uh, right now. And maybe we'll share that throughout the next coming weeks. But let's pray together. God, we thank you so much for who you are. and for the ways that you continue to be at work in our hearts, in our lives, in our church, and yes, even in the world. Would you give us eyes to see it? Would you give us hearts to receive it? And would you give us courage to share about it? Would you give us permission to experience your joy where it is bubbling up? That remind us of your promise of your presence, of your goodness, of your faithfulness. Prepare us uh, this Advent, we pray, O God, to encounter the Christ once again who is bringing joy to all the world. We love you, Lord, and we pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen.